If you guys can open your Bible to Exodus 17, we're going to be seeing a big chunk of Scripture. So we're going to be reading as we go through the passage. We're going to see 17, I think 8 to the end, and then uh, chapter 18. Let's Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness as we come to you and open your word. What a privilege that we as your children can sit through the gospel and be instructed by you. Let us have hearts that receive guidance and correction and that we can respond in a worshipful manner for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite, actually I think it's my favorite historic non-biblical person, non-biblical, is Eric Liddell. He's a runner from the 1924 Olympics. He won gold. Many of you know the story about chariots of fire and everything that happened uh, behind that. But what most people forget was that he gave his life after that. After being the pinnacle in the top, he gave his life for the preaching of the gospel and the building of Christian community. He could have won more gold medals. He could have done more. But he went to China to preach the gospel and give his life. A century later, later, we live in a world that we need more Eric Liddell's. We, we live such self-centered lives. We are not in the position to, to give, but more about receiving and fulfilling our needs. And I think a lot of times we see that in churches that are self-centered and not mission-oriented. Churches that are more about, give me what I need, Instead of giving our lives for the preaching and the extension of the gospel. And many times we see that through vacation patterns. And I'm all about vacation. I'm the vacation pastor. <laughs> but we need to, to, to have church be on the top of our priorities and vacations surrounding our church, our, the, the way we make decisions, even the way we practice sport, sports, we need to see how those things affect the local church. People that know me know that I love the gospel, I love my family, I love running, and I love vacation. And I love New York City. I love New York City. I think since I've been here in the state for 18 years, you, I know by my accent you think I arrived last week. <laughs> But I've been here 18 years. We have been to New York maybe 100 times. We, we love New York. I love going to Central Park and running in Central Park. That's one of my favorite things to do in the world. So I run. I love New York. Everybody asks me, have you run the New York City Marathon? I haven't. I gave that up. Sunday, 8 a.m., gone time. I gave up that dream because community and building church is more important. Our dreams, our desires go second because church and community is about the glory of God. Church is not about when it's convenience or when it, it, it fulfills my needs. It's about giving our lives for something greater than ourselves. We have to see that when the apostles changed in Pentecost from being kind of this bunch of like afraid group of men to
to be these gospel-driven people, something happened in their life. They saw the power of God. And when they saw the power of God, that changed the way they saw life. A couple of days before, they were all about them and when Christ will restore the kingdom on earth. And they moved to be those that proclaim that kingdom to others. So we're going to see in this passage in Exodus how we can build communities that are surrounded by the gospel and give our lives to the gospel. And we can do that when we see the power of God. Because when we see the power of God, we have confidence in giving our lives for something greater than ourselves. So God's people must, number one, depend on God's power. Depend on God's power. I'm going to give you a short background. Exodus. Hope, hope everybody knows a little bit of what's happening. But 400 years in Egypt, God goes through Moses, take them out. They see the sea, you know, parting two. They cross across the sea. And then they get to the other side of the, of the sea. They're free from the Egyptians. And what happened? They start grumbling. Three days, three days into walking, they start grumbling. And we all do that. Because we forget the power of God. And now, God in His kindness is trying to build His community. He saved them. He took them out of slavery. And now He's going to start doing things to build the community of God. And one of the things He's going to show them, He's the one that wins the, the, wins the battles through His power. Verse 8 of Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. I think I'm surviving all these names. Whenever Moses held his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Ur held up his hands, one, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the, the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. He was a group of bandits. He was attacking everybody around. And he went and attacked the people of God. And in the attack, we see two aspects of the believer's life. We see the dependent on God's power. And we need the action that we need to take depending on God's power. Sometimes we, we want to, to move to one of those two sides. Maybe sometimes we are too self-dependent and we want to do everything by ourselves. And sometimes we go with the let go and let go. You know, that, that phrase is like we don't do anything about it. But the life of the Christian is about both things. We fight against our enemies, which sin is our, one of our biggest enemies. But we fight depending on God. Many times when you see people that are fighting a sin, you say, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying. You know, and they put this, this voice, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm praying. See, but why are you do, are you, how are you praying? Well, I'm asking God to take away my anger. Is that all that you're doing? 
Because there's much more grace that can help you depend on the power of the Spirit to help you grow in those areas in your fights against sin. So God is telling God's people, in your fight against your enemies, I can only win the battle. That's what he's saying to this uh, illustration. Think about it. A lot of times when we see this uh, illustration of Moses with the hands, people tend to go about the holding of the hands. And we will say this passage is about let's hold the hands of the leader so the, the gospel can move forward. And we will see that a little bit later on in the next chapter. But here the main point is God wins the battle. The main point is not people holding the hands. The main point is God chose a very, and I don't have any other word, ridiculous way for the people of God to win the battle. So it was clear to them that God was the one winning the battle. He shows somebody holding his hand up with a staff to be the sign of winning the battle. So they could say at the end, even though we fought, they had to fight, they had to go down there with the swords, God was the one that win the battle. They saw the power of God in them beating their enemies because God's power was with them. How they know? The difference wasn't that they were good fighters. The difference wasn't that they were like very skillful. The difference was the hands of Moses were up Meaning that God was the one that was giving them the victory. Are you following me? So that's the point. The point here is God's power wins the battle. And we see here these two aspects. Moses as an intercessor and Joshua as a warrior. And we know now we have the greater intercessor. The one that doesn't get uh, tired. His hand never grows weary. We have Jesus Christ interceding for us. And we have the greatest warrior, which is uh, Christ, that he won the, 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 the battle in the cross of Calvary. You see, if we want to see a demonstration of power, we don't have to look past the cross. In the cross, the power of the gospel has won the battle for us. So we can fight against our enemies because the battle has been won by the intercessor and the warrior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, and after this victory, they have won. It is clear, it is clear that they have won because of the power of God. Because, you know, most, it wasn't about Moses raising his hands. It wasn't about the people raising Moses' hands. It was about God winning the battle. God wants to make sure to them that the power and his, his power are in his word. We'll see that right now. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the first time that we see God moving Moses to write scripture. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek with, from generation to generation. What this is saying the power is not in doing crazy things. Let's start raising our hands so we can feel that we're going to win the battle. The power is in the Word of God. 
God tells Moses, write it down so you remember my power. Write it down. And it's interesting that he's saying, tell it to Joshua. Because I think after, after that battle, you know, Joshua is like feeling good about himself. It's like, oh, like, you know, you know, look at me, man. I'm almost like a superhero. Say, tell Joshua what happened. I won the battle. I was the one that won the battle to you. And many times, we as Christians, we start feeling confident. You know, we, we go to a mission trip. We, we preach the gospel to somebody. We, we go to a picnic and we, and we win the, the, the pie-baking context. You know, and we feel good about ourselves. And we have to remember, God is the one that wins the battle. And we, as the church of God, we need to depend in the power of this book to win the battle. More and more, we want to move to things and programs and different situations to try to win people over. I don't know if you guys have been uh, aware, there's a, I think in 20 years, it's the first Spanish-speaking song that goes to the top of the billboards. Uh, the song name is Despacito. It seems that you guys are godly and don't listen to these things. But shamefully, this song was written by Puerto Ricans. I'm Puerto Rican, not Dominican, remember that. And this song is like everywhere. Uh, if you, can, if you are not, have not listened to this song, you're in a bubble. Uh, it's like everywhere, everywhere. You go everywhere and this song is everywhere. And it's one of those, you know, songs that stick in your head, you know, that you cannot take away from it. And now, and, but the, the lyrics are very filthy, uh, very sensual in a, in a very ungodly way. And, and now some churches have taken that song and start singing it with like Christian lyrics. Let, let's not be self-righteous. The problem is not doing something funny with a song. That's not the problem. The problem is trying to do things to bring people over church just to have them there and not preaching the power of God for salvation, which is the gospel. It's depending on tactics, tactics and depending on things that are not the power of God. It's trying to be relevant. And we need to, we need to be, you know, people that are are friendly and, and, and all these other things. But at the end, what we depend is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1.16 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. So as we move to Exodus 18, and we're going to talk about witnessing the gospel, and we're going to talk about serving in community, we need to remember, it's the power of God that drives us to do that. It's seeing the power of God. Because if we do these things without being pushed by the power of God, or encouraged, or, or motivated, but seeing that God is powerful, we're doing it in our own strength. We're doing it for our own glory. We're doing it through our own methods. So my question is, have you seen the power of God in your life? And many times when we ask a question like that, 
we, we think of firework or something spectacular or like a revival tent. And when we see the power of God more clearly, it's in the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. That's the power of God. And we need to keep watching day by day by day that power. So our mission is driven by the power of God. So God people must depend on the power of God. Point number two, be witness of the gospel through that power. Be witness of the gospel through that power. It makes total sense. Only when we see the power of God, we can have the boldness to preach that gospel. Only when we see that power, we, are, we have enough boldness to preach that gospel. And let me tell you, this is not like a one-time deal. We need to continually be seeing that power to have the boldness to preach that gospel. Chapter 18, verse 6. I'm going to start in verse 6. In chapter 18, Jethro... I practiced that name for like an hour. Jethro. Uh, he's the, he's the, he's the uh, father-in-law of Moses. And he comes and he brings uh, Moses' wife and his two sons. And, and, and he has, he's having a conversation with Moses. Verse 6. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. How many of you guys have bowed down to your father-in-law? Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord, verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And how the Lord had delivered them. Moses didn't lose time to share the greatness of God and the power of God. He had seen the power of God. He just shared the power of God. To his father-in-law. Many times we may not even want our father-in-law in our community. But he didn't lose time. He, he saw him and he couldn't stop himself from sharing what he has seen. He has seen the power of God. God has delivered them. Remember, he delivered them from the Egyptians and now delivered them from Am Amalek. He, could, he couldn't wait. And you have to understand, he was sharing the Old Testament gospel. Exodus, the Exodus, the moving of the people of God from Egypt to, to, to the promised land, that's the Old Testament gospel. That's Jesus dying on the cross for them. That's liberating them from slave to freedom. So he preached the gospel to Jethro right away. He didn't look for the right situation. He wasn't waiting for the, the, have the, 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 the deep friendship. He just said, look what God has done to me. Look what he has done to me, for me, not to me, for me. Many times people ask for strategies to share the gospel. And they, they tend to, to think, if I have the right strategy, if I know exactly what to say to that Jehovah witness that come to my house, or, or my, my uh, atheist, Co-worker, if I just have the right strategy, I will be able to share the gospel. 
I, I just need more training. And that's an excuse that we put instead of just saying out of the abundance of our heart, look what God has done to me. He has delivered me. He has delivered me from slave to freedom. At the end, it boils down to experiencing the power of God of salvation in your life and sharing it. I'm not saying that it's not good to have strategies. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, at the end, if you are free from sin and from the consequence of sin, you will share that with people. It will come out out of the abundance of your heart. It doesn't have to be like pushed down. You have seen it. You have experienced it. God has delivered you. I love the story of John Newton. He was a slave for many years. And when you sing that song that talks about that freedom from slavery, he was a slave. But for John Newton, most importantly, he was free from more than slavery of working, of the slavery of sin. So if we have experienced the freedom of our sins being forgiven. That's power. And we share it with others. And look what happened. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord has done to Israel. In that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And out of the hand of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. You see what happened? This is a conversion of a pagan. In before, in, the, in verse 1, he said that he was a, a priest. Jethro was a, a pagan priest. And now he's saying, this is one of the big points of Exodus. God is greater than every other God. No God is, is, is you can compare to God, to Yahweh. That's what happened. Pharaoh, what happened to Pharaoh against, against God? No, no, it's like Golden State beating the Cavaliers. You know, there's not even a comparison. There's nothing to, to play. Give them the title. There, there, there's, there's nothing there going on. If, if you're not watching the NBA Finals, maybe you're not following me. <laughs> and you see, God is showing He is superior by the victory over Amalek. He's a pagan. And by the conversion of a pagan priest. And we all have that story that Jethro had. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, repent from your sins and have faith, we, we, we can say what Jethro is saying, blessed be the Lord. Because He has delivered us from slavery. We were all children of wrath and became children of God. Verse 12, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the, all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, falling in law before God. You see the result? Okay, so Moses saw the, the, the power. Moses saw the power. Saw his father-in-law. 
preach the gospel, that same power that defeated Amalek converted Jethro, and the result was worship. The result was worship. Many times we're in this mindset, okay, let's bring people and let them let entertain them, and if they're in church, great, no. Our result, we want to see worship. We want to see people worshiping and bowing their lives to God. We want them to, to give their lives because they have been delivered, delivered from slavery. The end result that we want to see when we preach the gospel is uh, a transformed life that worship God. You see, the end result is not a better marriage. The end result is not that we have well-behaved kids. Those things are great, and those things have give worship to God. But the end result is lives that worship God. Those things, a good marriage, is a secondary thing that comes out of lives that worship God. Well-behaved kids come out of lives that worship God. They're like uh, uh, byproducts of lives that are given themselves to the worship of the one that deserves worship. And look what happened quickly. This pagan priest came, preached the gospel, gave worship, and look how worship looked. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. That worship looked in fellowship. In living with others in community. In sharing life. Brothers and sisters, to see worship, there must be proclamation of the power of God. John Piper says it in, the, in his uh, book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions are needed because there's no worship. So the end result of our preaching is to see lives that worship God for His glory. And we all are fearful. I'm pretty sure Jethro saw his father-in-law. He has worked for him 40 years. You know, it was that kind of relationship. He was in some ways Moses' boss. Maybe some apprehension. We all have been there. A couple, couple weeks ago, maybe like a month and a half, we were in, in, in our annual uh, mission trip to Disney World to try to convert Mickey Mouse. And, and, and we're moving. We ended up in a taxi. I don't have to say all the details. We ended up in a taxi, and I see that the guy's playing like a, you know, like a Christian radio station. So I start talking with the guy. I'm, I'm, I'm like a chatterbox. I keep talking and things like that. My, my children are always uh, kind of ashamed that I talk with anybody that's around me. Uh, my wife, she's used to it now. So, so I'm talking with the guy and, and drawing him out and. And, uh, and he's from Morocco. I say, oh, I've been to Morocco. Beautiful country, blah, blah, blah. And I say, are you a Christian? He say, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I say, well, you're listening to a Christian radio station. And he say, well, uh, you know, everything else in the radio is so filthy. You know, Despacito is everywhere. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm, li- and, you know, Christian radio station are more safe. And he said something. And at the end, you know, we all want to worship God and we just do it in our ways. So 
I start preaching the gospel to that guy. And we are having a conversation. And, and, and I'm not attacking Islam. I'm just presenting God died for the sin of sinners. He actually, he told me, you see, that's so unfair that an innocent person died for the guilty ones. And I told him, you get it. That's the gospel. You get it. That's the gospel. And on the back, one of my, my I'm not going to say which one, either my son or my daughter, he's telling, he's telling my wife, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. She was afraid. She was afraid. She was self-conscious. I'm a little afraid. I don't know. He may have a bomb or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he may get very angry. And it's not because he's Muslim. It's because if you preach people the gospel, some people will respond in anger. We all are fearful. There's no like that. That, that, that feeling never stops. And many times I have not preached the gospel. I've been on flights for hours and not preached the gospel to somebody that God has put on my side. Because I'm fearful that that person for three hour, four hour, five, six hour flight will be angry at me. And at those moments that I'm not doing that is because I'm not seeing the power of God for salvation. We need to see that we were rescued. And when we see that, it just comes out. What we worship comes out. If you talk to me, I'm going to talk about vacation, running, family, and hopefully the gospel. It needs to come out. Because it's there. It's in our hearts. We depend on the power of God. We share this power to others. So God's people must depend on the power of God, must preach the gospel. Point number three, they must share the ministry load. They must share the ministry load. You see, when we don't trust the power of God, there's a reduction in ministry. And what I mean by that is, if you don't believe that that power of God for salvation can work through you, you are going to outsource ministry. And you're going to outsource ministry to the ones that you think that have that power. Usually it's to the pastors or the, or the, or the uh, care group leaders. You're saying, they're the ones that can do ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to receive. You know, there's not much I can do. And that power is for everyone. We need to trust in the power of God and not in the gift of people. We tend to f- concentrate in the gift of people. What a great preacher. What a trusting carry pastor. What a great children ministry worker. Instead of trusting in the power of God. And the church has become addicted to programs. Instead of everyone doing their part for the community, we are addicted to having programs to do the things that the church needs to do. Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his, fa- said to his father-in-law, Because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the status of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, 
what you are doing is not good. It's interesting. Jethro got saved, and he cared about community. He got saved, and he didn't say, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. Let them do whatever. That person is sinning. That's not my problem. No, he got saved. He got involved in community. And he respectfully bring an observation or something, an air of growth to Moses. And Moses was having a wrong vision of ministry. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. It's not about Moses. It's about the power of God. When you have a need, and I'm sure your pastors love praying for you, and I, I'm, I'm not saying not to include them, but do you think if you tell the pastor that prayer will have like a murder effect if you just tell somebody in the care group to pray for you? If you think that, it's, it's, it's because you're not trusting in the power of God. Because the same power that Devon and Larry has is on all believers. They have, they have a role, and we're going to see that role. But we need to live in community, everybody trusting in the power of God. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourself out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and go be with you. You should represent the people before God and bring their case to God. And you should warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. You see what they're saying? Leaders teach people to depend on God's power. He's saying you're doing too much and you're neglecting what you need to do, which is teach them to live in community and to use that power for the glory of God. Pastors teach people to do ministry. Ephesians 4 said that very clearly. I have a practice. When, when somebody is in the hospital, and I think I mentioned this before, I usually go from, from my church. When somebody from church is at the hospital, I usually go. But it's interesting. James 5, I think, he talks about when somebody is sick and the elders pray for them. He put the burden to call the, the elders on the person. That person called the elders, and the elders go and pray for them. So when I go and they haven't called me, I say to them, I'm coming like a brother in, in, of the church. I'm coming like a brother in the church, and it will be the same like anybody else from the church to go. Because they haven't called me. There's a burden on, on you to call the elders for that prayer specifically that, that James 5 talks about. You know the one that I'm talking about? And I say those words because I don't want the church to be dependent on me. I want the church to be part of a community that everybody serves each other because everybody has seen the power of God and they trust the power of God. Even counseling. You see here... Moses, kind of like, like what Jethro was telling him, you take the tough cases. But everyday, everyday stuff, if you teach, they can help each other. They can encourage each other. They can, they can move each other to, to trust in the power of the gospel. 
verse 21. We're seeing here, in some ways, the importance of deacons. As we see in Acts 6. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate up and hate upright, and place such men over the people as chief hate upright. They didn't hate upright. <laughs> over the people as chief of thousands of hundreds of fifty and cents. You see what I'm saying? Look for people that have seen the power of God and that power has transformed them. And let them judge the people all the times. Every great matter they should bring to you. But any small matter they should decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all, all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had to say. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them head over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people all, all the time. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. What he's saying is he found men that were competent. Man that has trusted in the power of God, and the power of God, where was, what, what did Moses, to, uh, God told Moses, read in this book, man that knew this book. I want to challenge you, if you are here, study this book, get competent in this book, so you can be a gift to the church. So you can be one of those competent men that can help the community be trustworthy. That depend on the power of God. This is the principle. God's people work together dependent on God's power. To preach the gospel and to care to each other. God's people work together dependent on God's power to preach the gospel and to care for each other. You see, God brought out of Egypt a group. And he's building a nation. To work together. And that's the church now. We are here to all of us to give our lives. To depend on the power of God. There's a hunger for learning from the people of God. So we can be able to help each other and to preach the gospel. I'm going to end because I think with something that I think during the 80s. You know, 70s, 80s. There were not only bad haircuts, but I think we overdid church in a way that affected families. Church was so, so like central that, that you know, many families were not being able to build as a family because they were like so church center. But I think we have overreacted. And family has become this idol that don't touch my family time. Let me not sacrifice anything family for the church. And I think what we're not seeing is that God is calling families to be part of his people and together move the power of God. My oldest son got baptized a couple of weeks ago, like a month ago. And one of my favorite things now to tell to him at night is, Joey, 
I'm so happy that you are not only my son, but now, more importantly, you are my brother in Christ. That relationship is more important than me being his father. And I'm not putting down me being his father. But he has a heavenly father for eternity. He's going to be my brother in Christ for eternity. So let us look at the power of God in the cross. So that when we see that we remember that we were delivered. And we share that deliverance to others. And we work together as a community for the glory of God. Through his power. For his glory. Amen. Lord, thank you for your power that has saved us. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody that has not experienced that power here today, I, I call you that I ask you that you call him to yourself, that he could see his sin and his need for a savior like Jethro, that he could worship you and proclaim that you are the only God above all gods. And I ask you that you will help us repent for maybe our self centeredness in many times. And that we will be able to, to point our lives toward you. And as we point our lives toward you and your, your power, that's reflected in living in community for your mission, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.